From a courtroom in Beecham County, Alabama, it's the IGN DigiGods. Please welcome two men who asked the question. You were serious about that? <laughs> That's a Joe Pesci, Pesci impression. Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. First time Corey's ever cracked up doing an intro. Oh, Corey. That was written by Eric Altieri and Joe Pesci. Long-time listener, Eric Altieri. And whoever wrote that movie that, that, the, that he did with mm-hmm. the thing, with the Vinny, the yeah, cousin. Right. Who wrote My Cousin Vinny? I, uh, Mark, look up My Cousin Vinny. Mark, look up My Cousin Vinny. And Dale Lawner. There we go. See? I knew that. Dale Lawner. Yep, it's amazing the miracle that we can do. True story. Yep. My Cousin Vinny was a true story. Isn't it, isn't it amazing the things we can do with audio editing? No, wait, that was live. It, no, yes, it was. So, Mark, uh, yes, right sir. A, a friend of ours, a colleague of ours, has, has written a book. Do you, do you think Kirk Honeycutt has any friends? <laughs> do you see Kirk Honeycutt, like, knocking back a beer with, like, his buddies? I watching could. a game. Actually, I think I could. Uh, sure. Of course. That means nothing. We always like Kirk Honeycutt. He's a great writer. Kirk is uh, Kirk's a fantastic writer, good colleague, a great film critic, uh, just he's always a first-rate guy. And uh, he has written a book that I'm surprised didn't exist until now. John Hughes, A Life in Film, The Genius Behind Ferris Bueller, The Breakfast Club, Home Alone, and more. And uh, it's a great – it's like the standalone ultimate companion to John Hughes movies. This is – you know, we, uh, we had a Woody Allen book – yeah. Similar to this, and I have to say that this one eclipses it in every possible way it, it, in terms it, of writing, it does. in terms of uh, research, just in terms of the visual presentation. This book uh, is just terrific. It's getting a lot of play, actually. The, the, uh, I, I know like the New York Post did an article on it last week, yeah. which is nice. Uh, it has a forward by Chris Columbus. Uh, so obviously Chris Columbus is on board. Uh, he directed the Home Alone films. Yeah. And uh, so there you go. So this is a, just a terrific book. It's got lots of anecdotes and lots of behind-the-scenes photographs, lots of quotes. He interviews everybody. Uh, it goes picture by picture. Uh, it's, just, it's just a terrific book. And John Hughes was such a beloved filmmaker, and it was such a shock when he died in 2009 uh, that, as Wade says, it's just bizarre that um, uh, no one has really done anything comprehensive on his life and career. Uh, obviously, John Candy, Steve Martin, you know, he worked with just some of the greats. And, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd. And he was just uh, he was just a great director, right? just a real humanist who really understood the teenage experience. And, uh, yeah, I, he, was, he was a great filmmaker. And Kirk has done him proud with uh, John Hughes, A Life in Film. Again, just a lot of great anecdotes, a lot of great photos, behind-the-scenes photos. And you really get a newfound, a newfound appreciation of John Hughes and uh, his particular niche – in film history and how he exploited it with just compassion and love and just insight, and he was great. Very, very true. So go get and go yourself, uh, John. He was a life in film. It's really, it's really good. We just can't say enough uh, good things about this, and we love Kirk. He's just a he's a first rate guy and a great writer. Really a fun writer. It's a fun read. It is. It'll you know. It, it, and you can't really pay better tribute to a, a guy like John Hughes. John Hughes was an amazing guy. I mean, just a good person. Really extraordinary. You know, he basically checked out of Hollywood because he didn't want to raise his kids in Hollywood. Like yeah, he, he would live. He lived in uh, yeah. wherever he lived, Illinois, Indiana, somewhere. Where did he live? It was back east. Back east somewhere. Back east, yeah. He just wanted to give his kids a normal life. And, and with an, after an amazing career like that, to do that, it's just like, wow. He died in New York City. Yep. He was born in Lansing, Michigan. Anyway, I um, want to go through a few things real quickly. We've, we're mostly focusing on, we got some television this week. Uh, we've got some more KidVid. 
uh, like I didn't do enough last week. And we've got a gob, like gigantic gobs of classic movies. Great stuff from Olive, from uh, Twilight Time, from uh, Kino. From I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how many classic movies have come out. Can't even keep up with this stuff. So I'm going to do my best to, to kind of go through that while Mark goes and takes a nap. Uh, i got some foreign stuff if we can get through it. But first, I want to make mention of a couple of, uh, couple of documentaries that are recently out. Uh, one of them is called... Open Sesame, the story of seeds. And everybody's kind of focusing now on how, uh, on bees, you know, the, the whole bees thing, right? How, like, if the bees go away, humanity dies. No, it doesn't. Forget bees. Bees suck. Right. I hate bees. I, I want do. them all to die. But we'll be fine. Well, this is, this is similar. This, this gets into a, this is from True Mind. Uh, and it's a, this is a really interesting doc. It is, uh, I mean, obviously people are going to, can, can certainly debate parts of this, but they should. Um, the idea here is that that how we need seeds like more than anything in the world we need seeds they don't they're not just to grow the food that we eat but that seeds are essential to just the the, the way the whole ecosystem works and how many textiles come from plants and so forth and so on and uh, it is really interesting that uh, the seeds are, stud, are 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 almost becoming like um, like like land, you know, they're becoming property of sovereign states, and and people are trying to monopolize seed trade. It's really an, an interesting concept. And then uh, there is also a documentary uh, for you know uh, the, this was in theaters apparently, uh, obviously not theaters around here, which is weird because he was governor of California, but in a more conservative time. Uh, the Reagans, the legacy endures. Uh, you know, um, obviously, you know, there's a there's a certain partisanship to this, but if you are of the uh, of the ilk, uh, it, it's just a lovely love story between uh, Ron and Nancy. A friend of mine used to, uh, probably still does, wear a, a Ron and Nancy watch, which I, I always thought was a little bit strange. But uh, nonetheless, this is kind of you know it's a it's a it's a puff piece. It's but you know it's it's the Ron and Nancy love story, and uh, it, it was in theaters and it did a little bit of business. So somebody out there will love this. And then, um, before we get into some, some uh, hardcore television, uh, got a few newish movies that are probably worth making mention of. None of these really got exposure in theaters, but they're worth checking out. Uh, Believe Me is on Blu-ray. Fairly decent cast. These are all people that you've seen in other things. You probably just didn't know who they were. Uh, Cinqua Walls, Alex Russell, Miles Fisher, Max Adler... And then also in uh, in lesser parts, Christopher McDonald, Nick Offerman. You've seen them in all kinds of stuff. Christopher McDonald, most famously, is forever going to be known not as any of the like he was in Quiz Show and he's been in a few other things, but he will primarily be known as um, the guy who was uh, 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 Jenna Rowland, uh, Jenna Rowland, Gina Davis's uh, husband in uh, Thelma and Louise. Ooh, remember that? Yes, of course. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what everybody knows him. That's what everyone knows him as. Uh, no, Believe Me is uh, is actually uh, – Nick Offerman is really, really good in this, by the way. Nick Offerman is it, – it, it doesn't he kind of sometimes remind you of Zach Galifianakis? Like if Zach Galifianakis weren't completely insane, he'd be Nick Offerman? Yeah, but well, they, they both have that weird like – Square a diff- head. They're, yeah, they're on a different frequency than the yeah. rest of us kind of humor. Yeah. Well, anyway. So anyway, this is about a guy who um, cannot get back into college. He's just too broke. So he's, uh, he gets his three roommates together, and they uh, basically start their own religion or their own church. And it's got some commentary. You know, it's got some social commentary. It's got some points to make. 
And then we also have another zombie movie here. There's never enough zombie movies. This is Zombie World from uh, Dread Central. Um, most of these zombie things, I think, are just junk, and they're made way too inexpensively. And in the wake of things like uh, you know all the high, the bigger budget stuff, World War Z and whatnot, they, they you know even uh, even like uh, uh, twenty eight uh, days later, twenty eight weeks later, twenty eight. Well, there was twenty eight days, and then, and then there was twenty eight weeks. weeks. Twenty eight weeks is the better one. I actually like it better. Yes, that's the one with Robert Carlyle. Freaking amazing. Freaking amazing. I like Robert Carlyle like flips out and then vomits blood all over the side of the train that his kids are in. And Damn you, right. Oh, my gosh. This is horrific. Uh, no, this one's not bad. Um, it, it, it's kind of, you know, uh, second tier World War Z, but it's okay. It's, uh, it's all right. So zombie world, you know, it, it mean, it's the whole world, in other words. You know, it's, it's a World War Z thing. It's okay. Uh, then we've got Frankenstein versus the Mummy. Which is new style, right? It's, the, it's like our new Frankenstein versus our new mummy. And uh, it's okay. It, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gory and gruesome and horrific. And uh, director Damien Leone does a good job of trying to really, really, uh, you know, crank it up a notch and, and take this into, the new, into our new horror era. Um, it's still, you know, lower budget. It's, it's lower tier. But it's, uh, you know, fans won't be disappointed, horror fans. And uh, we've got a thing here with Rutger Hauer, as long as we're talking about rebooting Blade Runner with a much older Harrison Ford, which has been a topic of discussion on the Facebook page, by the which way. Which is weird, because in Blade Runner, is Harrison Ford not a replicant? See, now I made this comment. Okay, you, you're going to say, well, he can't live for that long. And the comment I made was, maybe it takes place the next day, and that's just, and he looks like hell, because that's what Sean Young will do to a guy. It, in it, real life. In real life. We know what the we know the whole James Woods thing, right? Oh, are you kidding me? Oh my me? gosh! She she glued his what to his what? <laughs> Fill in the blank, folks. She glued his blanks like a match game already X-rated match game. She glued his blank to his blank. She's insane. She really is. Remember that story when she showed up to uh, uh, to um, audition for a Catwoman in Tim Burton's Batman, dressed yeah. as Catwoman? Yeah. Crazy. Well. She, I mean, does she still make movies, or is she stalking someone or something? No, she's Sean Young. Okay. She's, she's probably like you know in her mid fifties, and yeah. she's too crazy to you know be hired. And she's yesterday's news, and now she was an ingenue, and she doesn't want to play the. She, she probably does want to play the the mom. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. Well, she's fifty five. Well, anyway, this is a a kind of a cyber thriller in the future. Rutger Hauer is this crazy, crazy rich billionaire who uh, is dying, and uh, he basically cuts a deal with this biotech company um, to, uh, to help cure him of his affliction. But uh, there is an interesting little angle to it, because it, become, it essentially becomes kind of like a... Um, it becomes sort of like a game. So it, it suddenly at that point turns a little bit into one of these... Um, uh, I don't want to say like not like the Running Man, but it's a little. It, it starts to feel a little bit like the Running Man at a certain point. Uh, anyway, really, really nice uh, production value, um, decent genre film. Nice to see Rutger Hauer kind of uh, getting back in the saddle again a little bit. You know, he was sort of on the outs there for a while. Well, he's weird. Yeah, I know he is. And then we've got uh, The Mule. Um, the Mule should be a better film than it is. It's got, a, it's got a really good cast. Hugo Weaving is always so interesting to me. Uh, he's in this with uh, a bunch of other guys, Leigh Wannell, Ewan Leslie, Angus Sampson, John Noble. John Noble shows up in a lot of these B-movies, but uh, it's Hugo Weaving who really, uh, who really, really uh, makes it work. And the whole thing is, you know, it's about drug mules, right? 
Um, it's about you know one guy who has just a gob of narcotics in his stomach, and uh, he decides to um, not. How do I put this in a really courteous way? Uh, when he's when when he's held held up by the police, he decides that he is not going to allow his excretory functions to uh, accommodate them, so that they can see what he's carrying inside of him. You fill in the blanks. Uh, it, it's a little bit rude, but it's uh, it's all right. It's a novel idea. I give them that much credit. And uh, then we've got Poker Night, which is uh, a horror film that. This is from the Accelerator Macabre line. Um, the only decent things about this are some of the uh, some of the casting, which includes Ron Perlman and Giancarlo Esposito, who are always good. Ron Perlman turns up in everything these days, uh, including obviously you know our friend Charles Lazarica's movie. That's Ron, right. Ron Perlman just he's in Drive. Last week we mentioned a little bit about Drive. Um, yeah, this um, I, I don't know. Something doesn't quite work about this. I, I saw maybe a third of this. And it just it just kind of started running out of steam really really quickly. Um, the uh, so I don't know. Uh, Hugh, you know, maybe this needed Hugo weaving as well. I don't know. Ron, Ron Perlman. I just I feel like he's kind of doing the same thing over and over. He's just being that tough tough mug faced guy. And then uh, as long as we're on the subject of games, um, this is a lovely sweet little movie. It's got Janine Garofalo and Ralph Macchio in it, uh, along with Olympia Dukakis and F. Murray Abraham. And you're thinking, my goodness, there's a couple of Oscar winners from the 80s there. And Ralph Macchio is a karate kid. And he's, a, what is he, 50 years old now? The karate kid is 50 years old? It's crazy. <laughs> the karate old man. And Janine Garofalo, who, who hardly does anything anymore. Uh, but this is actually a sweet, sweet film. It's, uh, it's about a, a 10-year-old girl who uh, gets mentored as a chess master by F. Murray Abraham. And uh, it's a, it feels a little bit at times like uh, searching for Bobby Fischer, but on you know on a, for, as far on a lower budget level with a little girl. But it's really sweet. It's a good family film, and I would say it's a nice discovery. So that is called a uh, a little game. It's good. It's good. All right, Mark. What else do we have? Oh, well, we have a very interesting documentary about Richard Pryor. Now, Richard Pryor, of course, uh, has not really been covered in the documentary or fictional film worlds. Uh, which is bizarre because he had such an amazing, interesting life. I mean, you know, the, you're, you're talking about a guy who, whose mother was a prostitute and his grandmother ran a brothel. Really? Okay, Richard Pryor. You realize that Richard Pryor's mother was a prostitute, I did and, not know and Richard like that. Pryor grew up in his grandmother's brothel in Peoria. I, I, I mean, think, that's, I don't think I knew that. I mean, that's where it's that's where his life started. Imagine where it headed. And wow. uh, now we have Richard Pryor omit the logic, uh, which is a from Magnolia. It's a pretty good talking head documentary with a lot of good B-roll. Uh, a lot of good uh, clips of him doing his act. It's got uh, Mel Brooks and Dave Chappelle and Whoopi Goldberg and Lily Tomlin and Paul Mooney and Robin Williams. Uh, so it's good. Richard Pryor, Mythologic. Obviously, this is not uh, it, this is comprehensive only in the sense that it's the best that's out there. I think that there is a more comprehensive documentary on Pryor to be made. But until that time, this is particularly fine. Oh, Mythologic. Check Sweet. that out. Also, a uh, great documentary on Edison called Edison, the Father of Invention. Edison uh, was such an interesting guy. You know, you, you look at him like the guy who, uh, you know, people, it's so reductive. They say, oh, he invented the light bulb and the, and the movie camera. I mean, this guy had a very interesting life. He was incredibly competitive. He, uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, not only a great inventor, but an, he basically was the first studio mogul. Yeah. He, he, he became the first studio mogul. I mean, he was, you know, he was an amazing businessman, a ruthless businessman. That's right. He um, was. But uh, the modern world wouldn't exist without Edison. I mean, you know, not only did he invent, you know, great things that improve the world like electricity and whatnot and the yeah. movie camera. I mean, here's a guy who like tried to 
make it so that the state could kill people using electricity. I mean, he was sure. one of the, he was one of the ones who actually was kind of like he was the one who was making sure that ele- uh, electrocution would be a mm-hmm. viable form of capital punishment. Yep. So little stories like that really fill out the ed- the Edison life, yeah. and you really learn a lot about that in Edison, the father of invention. Definitely check that out. Uh, speaking of all things old, we have the '60s, the decade that changed the world. This, this is, is terrific. Um, this is really terrific. This series. is a terrific series, as Wade says. This was on CNN. It was executive produced by. Um, uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Gary Getzman, his uh, Playtone producing buddy. All the episodes are here. There's ten of them, and it uh, just goes, man, just goes, uh, you know, kind of year by year. You know, t- television comes of age, and the space race, and uh, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, and of course here on the. Uh, it's been a couple weeks now, but still, wait here on the cover. Yes, Aww. there he is, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Mm. Anyway, this you're right. Let, let, let's just say that your parents would probably really enjoy. Sitting down with the '60s. It's a great documentary. It's it's pretty much as comprehensive as you're going to get. Ten part series, very very good. Also, we have um, another documentary from uh, PBS's American Experience. Uh, Leroy Robert Ripley, who was the one who co- sort of invented Ripley's, uh, believe, Ripley's, it Ripley's believe It or Not. He yeah. was an interesting guy. He grew up during the Depression, and he was kind of a nerd growing up. And then he, the guy, was kind of a a bit of a circus ringmaster of like just colorful weirdos and freaky odd people and he wound up inventing Ripley's Believe It or Not and I used to ha- I used to have those books you know yeah I used to love those books. Right. Well, so and, and the and I mean the old they used to have those shorts ahead of movies. I mean there were there were a lot of Ripley's Believe It or Not shorts that ran in the shorts program before films in the That's 1930s. Right. And then to this day on the, on the yeah. corner of Hollywood and, uh, and Highland. Still, still with, the, with the dinosaur. Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum with the dinosaur popping out of the uh, roof. Yep. So Ripley's Believe It or Not, that's very interesting. Uh, Rise of the Black Pharaohs is the uh, other. Two. We have a couple more PBS things to talk about. Rise of the Black Pharaohs. This takes place in Egypt around this is, 800 this is, BC. This is, a really, this is an interesting bit of Egyptian history. Well, cause it's, it's all about these... Um, these uh, it's about these archaeologists and they go to Egypt actually they go to Sudan and they're digging up the truth about these black pharaohs because they were out there they were dark skinned Africans and they became pharaohs and they, they, they took had, they took over the leadership of the, the whole Egyptian empire at a certain point it's a fascinating episode in Egyptian history so rise of the black yeah. pharaohs and finally we have uh, Earth a New Wild this is a beautiful Blu-ray ladies and gentlemen um, it's just it's just these great shots of like you know animals and planes and forests and oceans and water it's just it's, it's just really beautiful um so you can definitely check out Earth and New Wild because if nothing else is on Blu-ray and the photography is just stunning. Also, we have a filing from uh, PBS, The Rise of ISIS. Um, ISIS, of course, are the uh, – I don't know what to say about ISIS. They're just they're, – they're, 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 they're like the like 800 James Bond villains all wrapped up into each other. They're just nice. bizarre. They are just the most bizarre. They're my favorite people. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It, it, it's, it's a horrific thing that's going on. And then just this last week, they uh, – they, and, and everything that they are doing is – it is intentionally provocative. They, they are trying to bait the world into just, just unleashing hell on them, apparently because they think that this is going to usher in the, the apocalypse. apocalypse. Right. But all it's going to usher in is a bunch of really angry nations, including a lot of angry uh, Arab nations, who are just going to level them flat, and then it's done. And it was all – it's just such a waste. I mean, did you see what – did you see the footage that they shot in the, in the museum? The, at oh, Mosul? yeah, when they, they – uh, These are 7,000-year-old yeah. works of art, and they're just taking yeah, but, but sledgehammers the, to them. It's but just the Taliban – you know, do you remember right before 9-11, yeah, when, the, when Taliban the Taliban did the same thing? the blew up the thing? Buddhas. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but the Taliban weren't doing it for PR value. The Taliban were doing it because they just, you know. Well, these, but ISIS, what they do is they recruit all these young, impressionable Muslim girls from, like, you know, the U.K. who are very social I, media savvy. I was watching. That is a big deal. That's not really making the news in the U.S., but it's a big deal in the U.K. because I watch BBC World on a regular basis. And, and there are those three girls, those British girls that went to Syria, and they're gone. And it, their families are beside themselves. And they, they were all lured there through social media. I, it's, it's scary, man. It's really scary. Uh, speaking of, as long as we're on the, 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 the subject of, uh, of religion, let's, let's steer this into a slightly better place. Uh, Sacred Journeys with Bruce Feiler is a, uh, on Blu-ray, beautiful PBS series, uh, that follows Americans as they go on to different religious pilgrimages. And it's, uh, it is really interesting, and it is, uh, it is, it, 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 this is actually quite uplifting in many respects. Uh, you, they, he follows people who go to Lourdes in France to bathe in the, in the waters, uh, Buddhist pilgrims in southern Japan who are going on this 800-mile, 88-temple journey. Um, a trailer follows from pilgrim, pilgrims in Jerusalem, who um, you know from all from you know Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Um, there's a there's even a you know he follows some uh, people on the Hajj to Mecca. Uh, then he goes to India, you know, bathing in the Ganges River, which is a little scary because it's really polluted. If you didn't know that, uh, and uh, then in Nigeria, uh, where uh, some Americans go to dance at the edge of the. Uh, uh, water at the Yoruba Festival, and it's uh, it's a it's a just it's an, it's a really interesting series on how people find spirituality through these religious pilgrimages. Speaking of that, did anybody see the Red Tent? Did you see the Red Tent, Mark? Based on a book? Mm, no. It's based on a book. This was on uh, this was on TV recently. Uh, it was advertised on bus benches everywhere. This is basically based on a book that kind of turns it creates a, a biblical soap opera out of the very brief story of Dinah, who's the daughter of Leah and Jacob in the Bible, and uh, it is it is it's sort of a feminist tale. You know, as the women gather together in the red tent, uh, what they don't tell you anywhere in the marketing for this. You know what the red tent was all about? It was about uh... that's where the women went that time of the month. Ah. They were banished to the red tent. Um, it, it anyway. This is kind of it's sort it's a little bit goofy. It's it's nicely done, well cast, but it's not you know it's sort of taking a, a little segment of the Bible and trying to turn it into a, some kind of a ancient Downton Abbey thing, and it does is eh, <laughs> eh, so so not into it, not not quite into it. Uh, let's see what else do we have on the TV front. We have Sons of Anarchy. Way you know Sons of Anarchy is uh, it's uh, wrapping it up. And uh, sure the is. the uh, the star of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, wait, I was making a joke there, and I forgot his name. Yeah, what's the guy's name who was going to be in Fifty Shades of Grey? He's who oh, was on uh, the show. Uh, Charlie. Charlie. Uh, uh, Charlie Dornan. Charlie Steve. Mel Steve. Char- Don't stop recording. Yeah. What's his name? Charlie. No, hang on. It is. It's like Charlie Dornan. <laughs> no, no, we don't even remember who the hell he is. <laughs> hang on. No. Don't stop recording. Charlie Hornan Dornan. Charlie. Charlie Mc. Charlie Hunum. 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 Charlie. Charlie Hunan, Charlie Hunan Chicken. <laughs> so unprofessional. Don't here. stop the recording. Okay. okay. Anyway, well, I guess that joke meant nothing now because uh, I screwed it seventeen different ways. Anyway, Sons of Anarchy. This thing was a this thing wound up really um, kind of growing into itself. It really became a very dark and interesting and twisty kind of tale about just murder and and bike riders and long beards. A lot of blood, a lot of shifting alliances. People really dig this. People really dug this show. It took a while to get going, but uh, I think at the end it was really intense. So this is the final season of Sons of Anarchy. It comes on a Blu-ray with a little uh, gray slipcover. 
and uh, it's got a lot of extras on. It looks good. The show is always uh, pretty well shot, kind of down and dirty, gritty looking. And uh, there's a gag reel, which is always always weird to see a gag reel on Sons of Anarchy because it's such a dirty, gritty show. But gag reels, gag reels, funny. And that's that. Also, now on DVD, we have the third season of Longmire. Now, uh, it's a little disappointing they put this out on DVD. It shows you uh, how little faith they have in its uh, in its buying power. Anyway, this is uh, two discs, ten episodes. It's with Robert Taylor as Sheriff Walt Longmire. And, um, you know, it's nice to see Lou Diamond Phillips kind of still in the game, although his hair is unnaturally dyed black, which is always kind of weird to look at. But uh, this also co-stars Katie Sackhoff. By the way, Wade, speaking of Katie Sackhoff, now, yes. I this is a couple weeks old, but I emailed you the uh, link to that Power Rangers fan film. And I said to oh, you, I, yeah, yeah. And I and, said and to they you, pulled it. they pulled it. That's right. So, well, Saban pulled it. So I said, you've got to watch between five minutes and six minutes. That's when the blood comes. Did oh, you watch it? Oh, you better believe it. My Please. gosh, that was brutal. Seriously. Can you believe that? That was unbelievable. Were, people, getting, people getting shot point blank in the head. Yeah. People getting stabbed with a knife in, the, in would, the eye. I'd pay to see that, that Power Rangers movie. <laughs> I totally would. I'd bring children. <laughs> <laughs> bring your bring, bring hey do that with your uh, your action figures you know you should say to your daughter in the morning we're going to watch Peppa Pig in the afternoon <laughs> we're going to watch Power Rangers uh, stab you in the eye yeah, show that's what, we're, that's what we're going to do exactly anyway uh, Z Nation um, I love zombie stuff as much as anybody uh, like I think I said last week but um, I got to say Z Nation I'm getting over it you can't just be a zombie thing you've got to be a good zombie thing like an over-the-top awesome brad pitt zombie thing 28 days later zombie thing z nation is just like all right more zombies here's the thing though see this show is a corrective to the walking dead because i think the walking Dead is boring i can't watch the walking Dead. it's a bunch of guys and and look i i understand that the title i I understand i get why it's uh, it has appeal but well look here's the thing i understand why like the the title the walking dead that doesn't refer to the zombies. It refers to the human survivors. They're yes. the walking dead. So mm-hmm. they just drift around trying to survive, and occasionally yeah. there's a zombie, and they have these interpersonal battles. Yeah. Boring. I want zombies. Uh, and Z Nation is a bit of a corrective to that, but uh, still, it's just not as uh, polished as Walking Dead. I'll pass on that. Finally, if you like really bad shows that don't hold up but are just ridiculously silly, we have Heart to Heart, the complete fourth season. I, I bet this will sell about 17 copies. This is Robert Wagner, and um, I like this show. I I thought they just had a wonderful rapport. I, I I used to like Lionel Stander. He had that gravelly voice. Oh, he was he great. Was... I used to see him driving around in his antique car all the time. Did he really? Big big cigar. Yeah, I forget what it was. It was like it was like some old Buick or something. It was like a, it was like from the nineteen twenties or thirties. It was. Sounds like something you'd have. Uh, anyway, so Robert Wagner, Stephanie Powers, um, you know, this was a very stylish show at the time. They're, you know, jet-setting detectives. Sidney Sheldon had uh, created it. And, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> – look at that. It's the best. Well, it's Sidney terrible. Sheldon also created I Dream of Jeannie. He can do no wrong. Uh, that show sucks too. Oh, yeah, I said it. Hill Street Blues, season four. <laughs> Wade and I talked about Hill Street Blues a couple weeks ago. This sh- this um, this show is legendary. It is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, it is a great show. Still holds up to this day. Great cast. Daniel J. Trevanti, Veronica Hamill, Bruce Weiss, Charles Haidt, and James Sicking. And uh, it's a great show. Season four on DVD. Um, it won a whole bunch of um, Emmy nominations. It actually won 14 Emmy nominations. 14 Emmy nominations and a fourth consecutive win for Outstanding Dramatic Series. This is the season four of the show. Check that out. Uh, on the other end of the quality spectrum, we have uh, season three of Chips. I used to like this show because I love this show. I don't know why I like because, this show. Because, is stupid. Because Chris Pine's dad is the is the the chief. 
that why? Because he is. <laughs> he is the. Yeah, he it's is. true. It's Robert Pine. Um, we, we have chips to blame for Chris Pine, basically. I don't know why I like this show. I think I was just like young and like stupid things. Anyway, it's about this Highway Patrol, California Highway Patrol. It's with Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada. And uh, yeah, what can I say? Twenty-three episodes, a uh, bunch of bunch of second unit shots of cops driving on a highway. And seriously, because like, cause like real, real, real CHP officers, officers, they do not do what these guys do. No, I, mean, I, I used to, I, you know, I used to be always really amused at some of the uh, the episodes that they would shoot when they when they would shoot in Southern California locations that we knew. You'd see them; they'd cut literally as they drive past this, and then the next shot, and you go, "Wait a minute! Those two shots are like they're going east, and then they're going west five miles later." How did what? What's what's wrong with the editing on this show? <laughs> All right, finally, we have uh, the final season of Quincy. Quincy starred Jack Klugman, who passed away a couple years ago, and uh, he played a medical examiner here in Los Angeles in the coroner's <laughs> office. The thing uh, yeah. I once talked to Jack Klugman on the phone. <laughs> was that before or after his voice <laughs> was, got shot? I, it, was for a, it was for a local election. And uh, I, was, uh, I was given the, you know, I was, I was doing some, you know, electioneering, and I was given a list of all the people in my precinct to call, make sure they got out to the polls. And Jack Klugman was one of them. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to call Quincy. And, uh, or, or I'm going to call Oscar Madison, whatever mode you happen to be in. And so I dialed the number. And this was before his throat surgery, right? You know, when he could still talk. And, and, and it was like, wow. Oh. Yes, hi, Mr. Klugman. Just want to remind you, today's election day. Oh, my God, where do I go to vote? So I, I told him where to go to vote, and that was that. It's, it doesn't seem almost quaint that you would call a big celebrity at the time, and he'd answer his own phone. Yeah, it's true. Nowadays, if you, if you called a, a similarly famous actor of today, yes. he would not answer his no. phone. no. We got a couple of good ones on stars. Uh, stars has a couple of really interesting. They got they got a lot of interesting stuff going on, and they're not getting enough credit for it. I don't think. Uh, this is a David Goyer produced show, Da Vinci's Demons. This is the complete second season on Blu-ray. Gorgeous show. I'm not sure quite what I think of it yet. It's really nicely done, but the whole idea of reinventing Leonardo da Vinci as this kind of uh, Renaissance era steampunk superhero. Uh, you know, is kind of this like sexy ladies' man. It's not really that's not Leonardo da Vinci, um, but nonetheless, this is the world that they have invented. And it, you know, with uh, all kinds of evil intrigue with the Medici's and Rome and the Catholic Church, and it's it, it's it's really well done. It feels very uh, comic booky, as you would expect from from David Goyer, but. Um, I don't know. Let's see where it goes. I mean, it seems to be pushing in interesting directions as far as the uh, the serial narrative. So, I'm I guardedly recommend it at least because it's just really well done. It's got a, it's King uh, Game of Thrones seems to be a bit of an inspiration too. It's like let's do Game of Thrones set you know in uh, Renaissance Italy with uh, Da Vinci as, as our as our steampunk superhero. Outlander is a totally wild show, and I have no idea where this is going to go. Uh, this this is coming back in April. It's on Saturdays on on Stars. And uh, the idea here is that this is there's this woman who's a nurse. She's reunited with her husband uh, after World War II, and then for reasons that complain that are entirely not explained, she's time tripped back to the mid 18th century in Scotland, where she is where where she becomes caught up in all of this uh, Highland intrigue. This is Outlander. This is season one, volume one. I don't know why they don't just come out with the whole first season. Just do it. Um, and a lot of interesting features on here about, you know, the costumes and the production value and the whole thing. I um, Ronald Moore uh, 
is the uh, is the, the 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 guy on this, uh, the executive producer, and um, you know Ronald Moore of Star Trek fame. Sure, and, next generation. Yeah, and um, uh, it it definitely has. It's almost like like it's caught between two genres. So I want to wait and see where it goes. But again, like like Da Vinci's Demons, the production value is great. It's through the roof, really first rate. Looks looks fantastic. All right, Mark, uh, let's hit some uh, criterions here. Woo! Let's do some criterions, and then uh, I will blow through a bunch of these uh, old, these classic movies, um, and I'll let you go through some classic movies, and then we'll see where that gets us as far as the show. Uh, there's a ton to do. An Autumn Afternoon is an Ozu film on Blu-ray from Criterion for the first time. Autumn Afternoon, like all Ozu films, is sweet and soft and gentle, gentle and slow. And if you don't know what you're getting, on, getting into with Ozu, you might think it's just a boring slog, but it's not. It's just like, it's like watching a great artist paint a painting. It's beautiful. And this is from 1962, the famous year of Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, you get a great, great audio commentary from uh, David Bordwell, who is one of the great current living film scholars. I've, I've used his stuff in classes, actually. So it's great to hear him actually talk. And uh, Bordwell wrote a book called Ozu and the Poetics of Cinema, and he knows Ozu probably better than any, any other living scholar. So uh, that is really, really nicely done. You also get excerpts from a 1978 excerpt of a French television program called Cine Regards, or Cine Regarde, uh, in which Michel Simon, who wrote the great Kubrick book, and uh, Georges Perec uh, take a look at Ozu's career. That's particularly engaging. Uh, the film is just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. So An Autumn Afternoon, one of the great works by Ozu. And then, as long as we're in, the, uh, in Japanese mode, uh, Sword of Doom, which has been out before from Criterion on DVD, finally gets its Blu-ray debut. Uh, Mifune, the great Mifune, doing what he does so well, except not in, for Kurosawa in this case. The director is Kihachi Okamoto, who is not at all like Kurosawa. And uh, the idea here is, a, you know, uh, it's about a wandering samurai and just the, you know, the, the horrors of his journey, uh, as the title The Sword of Doom should uh, tell you. Um, it's, um, it's pretty brutal, but it is, uh, it's, a, it's more a character study than it is a, a plot uh, digression. So I would say uh, definitely, definitely give this a, a, a look if you haven't seen it before, and you probably want to own it. Um, commentary by Stephen Prince, who's done a lot of uh, these commentaries for Criterion, is typically excellent. And um, there's also a trailer and an essay. No other extras, but there don't need to be because it's damn good. Uh, speaking of damn good, we have uh, two uh, uncharacteristic films from uh, New Wave uh, Pioneers. We have The Soft Skin from uh, tra- uh, Francois Truffaut. Now, he was just following up Jules and Jim with this story, which is a little bit more... Um, it's a little bit more, I mean, I don't want to say conventional because nothing Truffaut did was conventional, but the trappings of it were conventional for him. Uh, it's about this wealthy and uh, famous uh, French guy who has an affair with an airline stewardess, and he's trying to keep it from his wife. And is that going to happen? Of course not, because then there'd be no movie. Uh, now, the, what's interesting about Soft Skin is that, is that this is a time in Truffaut's life where he was really into Alfred Hitchcock. And so there is a certain... Hitchcockian vibe to this thing. I mean, it's not like, you know, um, it's not like Repulsion or something like the early works of, um, what's his name? Uh, you know, Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd. <laughs> I think I'm getting Alzheimer's. Like, uh, how, how Polanski. Can I, how can I not n- remember who directed Repulsion for crying out Jesus? <laughs> Polanski. Anyway, 
So, so it, again, you know, it's um, you know, what, what's that guy's name? Dominique Strauss Kahn. It's, it's a little bit like the Dominique yeah. Strauss Kahn story, like you know, from like as told in 1960, uh, 1964. Um, so I think the film is just terrific. It's almost uh, prophetic when you think of what's happening today. Um, so it's called Soft Skin by Francois Truffaut. It is a little bit uncharacteristic for him, and that's what makes it so interesting. Uh, check that out. Also, um, Godard, who um, I'm going to finally admit this to the world, which is that uh, a lot of Godard just makes me angry. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you see his new film, the 3D thing? No. Fair, uh, farewell to Language? No, it's over. I, I don't want to. For the, for the radio. It was hysterical. I was on with Henry, and Henry loves it. Henry was just going on and on and on. If you close one eye while you're watching it, and I, and, you know, and then I, I, I said, you know, I want to watch it with both eyes closed because it just drove me crazy. Just... Henry's like, if you notice the people, the naked people walking around, are very often different people. I, I don't know how. I don't honestly. I don't know how Henry pays that close attention to movies like that. I don't. <laughs> Sounds like, he's, uh, sounds like he's overcompensating. Like there's huh? a dog barking. and then it's, it's just yeah. it's horrendous. I just look. I mean, first of all, thank goodness Godard is still making films. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you, we, you know, we talk about Woody Allen being like the last of a breed and whatnot. I mean, Godard is still out there making movies. Man. Yeah, God sure. love him. I just wish that he would make like a, a tip. I just wish he would make a, just a narrative movie. There's a girl. Girl falls in love. They do some stuff. Maybe there's a murder. They break up. Big <laughs> he, he, he can't do that anymore. Anyway, this is from 1980. This is this is from 1980. So this is uh, he had spent a lot of years uh, dabbling in like video production, video stuff, and he kind of gave that up, went back to film, and directed a little thing called Every Man for Himself. Now, Every Man for Himself is um, it is about uh, it's it's a bit of a three a it's it's a, a menage a trois, which is to say it's about three people. It's uh, there's a television producer, there's his um, co-worker and his ex-girlfriend, and uh, it's this story about uh, it, it has a lot of resonance to uh, what the French were going through at the time. So some of it will kind of kind of go over our heads in terms of uh, what what the French working class were going through in the 1980s, but still. It's a terrific film. It was his return to cinema after years of doing a bunch of video blah, blah. And it's a great Blu-ray. So uh, it includes a video essay, new interviews with uh, Isabelle Huppert and the producer of the film, archival interviews with the composer Gabriel Yared, which is great, a couple of appearances by Godard on The Dick Cavett Show. So uh, this is one of the least Godardian Godard films in that you can almost follow the plot, which is just fantastic. And you can't beat that. Every Man for Himself, available on Blu-ray from Criterion. All right. Let's get into some, uh, some classic movies. Classic English language Hollywood-ish movies. Uh, I got three right here. One from Cohen and a couple from Milestone. Uh, the one from Cohen is Syncopation, which is a William Dieterle movie from 1942 that, they, that Cohen has restored from the uh, original Library of Congress elements, nitrate elements, gorgeous-looking, fantastic movie. Uh, Jackie, it's basically a, a jazz-era uh, romance. Jackie Cooper plays a, uh, a trumpeter. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, romance with a, uh, a piano player played by Benita Granville. And it's you know you're not seeing this so much for the for everything there, that, you know with the, for the romance as you are for the music. It's just really great music. Uh, Benny Goodman, uh, Gene Krupa, Alvino Ray, Jack Benny or uh, Jack sorry Jack Jack Jenny, uh, Joe Venuti, uh, Harry James. I mean it's great jazz in this movie. It's really fantastic. Uh, and William Dieterle, one of the all time great Hollywood directors. Uh, it's it's just really it's just fantastic. And you get a bunch of short jazz films here. 
that is what's really just going to wipe people out. If you're a jazz fan, you just go nuts. You get this great movie, and then there are nine short films, all of them uh, jazz-oriented. There's uh, Duke Ellington in Bundle of Blues, Artie Shaw's Class in Swing with Artie Shaw from 1939, uh, uh, Black and Tan Fantasy with Duke Ellington and uh, Freddie Washington, uh, Duke Ellington and Billie Holiday in Symphony in Black. I mean, it's just Louis Armstrong uh, in Rhapsody in Black and Blue. It's just, there's, there's really awesome stuff here. So uh, jazz fans will go nuts. And then we got a couple of great films here from the, uh, from, uh, the Milestone Collection. People at Milestone, they just work their butts off, and they're just so, so awesome. Uh, I love them to death. I really do. They're just really – Dennis and Amy are just the best. And uh, the first one is from their ongoing Shirley Clark collection. And, uh, you know, Shirley Clark was a really seminal filmmaker and uh, did a lot of great work. Is one of the pioneers of American independent cinema. And this is from Project Shirley, Volume 1. And the film is The Connection, as long as we are on the subject of, uh, of, of jazz – um, this is a, a, a sh- all shot in a basically in a loft, and it's uh, about a jazz quartet, and they're waiting for their uh, for their dealer to come. You know, it's when jazz men were all sort of like coke fiends and and, uh, and heroin addicts, and it's uh, it's sort of what's going on while they're waiting for this guy to uh, to show up and and bring them their their stash. Um, it is. Um, it's it, it's it, it's really an extraordinary film. It's 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 all, almost like like an ethnographic snapshot in many ways of a particular place in time. And it's just, it's unlike anything else that you'll ever see. And the, the camera work is fantastic. And uh, Shirley's directing is just sublime. It's just a really a great pioneering film. Uh, beautiful, beautiful photography. And then also from uh, Milestone is In the Land of Headhunters by Edward S. Curtis. This is a restoration that was done at UCLA from the UCLA Film and Tele- uh, Television Archive. Uh, and it was uh, included in the National Film Registry as, as one of the seminal works um, in American film history. Basically, this is the uh, 1914 silent film uh, that uh, gives sort of the last glimpse of the life of Native Americans as it was dwindling. You know, you, you, by, the time, by 1914, it, there was still sort of some sense of, of what was left of Native American practice from the Wild West era. But really, when you think about it, the West started evaporating in the 1870s, 1860s. Once the Civil War was over and trains were trucking West, by 1880, the Industrial Revolution is underway. 1890, we're getting movies, 1900, turn of the century, you know, bam, it's over. So, I mean, in, in the matter of just a, a single generation, a generation and a half, a whole kind of frontier lifestyle evaporated. And so by 1914, this is sort of your last gasp to be able to, uh, to depict this. And it's, it's really extraordinary. It is, a, it is a wonderful, wonderful film with lots of great extras. Um, and, uh, you know, if, you're, if you are, it's got a great commentary track, too, that's just superb. So anybody who is a, a fan, particularly of silent films and silent film history and ethnographic films, In the Land of the Headhunters by Edward S. Curtis is an absolute must. Hello, Wade. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, should I do a couple here? Yeah, knock them out. Okay, let's start with uh, 101 Dalmatians from 1961. This is uh, Disney's uh, latest in Disney's line of Diamond Edition uh, Blu-rays. 101 Dalmatians is not, uh, it's sort of a mid-range it's a B. It's okay. Not, it's not an A. I like this movie. It's not like Sleeping. It's not like you no, know, whatever true. Sleeping Beauty. That's whatever. True. It's uh, it's it's fine. It's uh, there's a hundred one Dalmatians and they run around. They have spots. Cruella, and it's cute. Cruella de Vil is the reason that everyone loves this. <laughs> really, you know what? If it wasn't for that villain, I, I mean, say say the villain was half as good, you'd be like, eh. 
bunch of dogs yeah. running around being cute. That's true. Uh, it is a good uh, – it's a beautiful um, uh, Blu-ray, though. They did a very good – they cleaned it up. There's a little bit of softness there because I think they used some edge enhancements to kind of uh, sharpen it up. So it wound up being uh, – compromising the uh, picture quality a little bit, but it does have a bunch of uh, bonus features, including a new animated short and uh, a special hosted by uh, Disney Channel's Cameron Boyce and uh, other stuff. So, you know, look, if you've been collecting these Diamond Editions, uh, 101 Dalmatians should definitely be on um, your list. First time on Blu-ray. So there's that. Then we have um, the 10th anniversary of Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, I don't, this movie is just not good enough to warrant a, any, any, any anniversary. No. It's just bizarre. This no. is another one of those those annoying Johnny Depp put me in makeup and, and I'll do crazy things. You know, it, it has none of the charm and winsomeness and none of that like that little buried streak of evil that you see in the other one. You know what I mean? His performance is basically channeling Carol Channing. <laughs> It is. He's acting like Carol Channing in the whole thing. God. The voice, the whole thing. Anyway, uh, so that's not good. E- equally not good is just is this really bizarre, misbegotten uh, adaptation of War and Peace with Audrey Hepburn, Mel, uh, Mel, Mel Ferrer. Ferrer, and Henry Fonda. This thing was directed by King Vidor. It's three and a half hours long, and I've got to tell you, this thing is just terrible. I just this thing was just totally misbegotten. It just it's three and a half hours yet you don't even get into the characters at all. Audrey Hepburn is way too winsome and sweet to really a, play this a, role. It's a strange movie. It really is. And and the Russian film, which I have seen projected by the way, uh, which is takes all of like ten hours. I saw it at the I saw it at the uh, American Cinematheque in with a, uh, a a lunch and a dinner break. Yeah, it's a it was, and that was spectacular. But uh, yeah, even that doesn't really capture the book. It's an unadaptable book. It, it, it shouldn't be tight. It, it, it really is. Anyway, we also have on Blu-ray, uh, which is kind of nice, Munich. Now, Munich is a weird little bird in the Steven Spielberg filmography. It's it's not good enough to be great, not bad enough to be terrible. I just feel like, you know what, it's weird for a Spielberg film to not give me someone to root for. You know, at the time, Eric Bana was becoming like the new It guy, whatever. Yeah. And uh, I just didn't know what to make of this movie. It's a curious Daniel little... Craig's in it. Daniel Craig's in Daniel it. Daniel Craig plays a Jew. <laughs> I, I don't know who thought that would be convincing. It's the role he was born <laughs> to play. I just don't know. It just and feels... that's the second time he's done it, you know. He did it also. James in... Bond's Jewish? He is. Wow. No, he also, he, he also did it in that Ed Zwick movie. Remember the Ed Zwick movie oh, about about the they, they, they go, the, the 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 Jews who go out into the uh, what was it called and they're out in the wilderness and they they're, they're fighting in the Exodus No. Star Wars No. see now you're gonna make me look it up what was it what was it called it's, anyway it's this it's, it's, this is just a very unfocused and curious little movie with no heart and not much not much passion to it I don't I I know what what drew defiance Spielberg, defiance I, that's right I know it drew Spielberg to the story but I just feel like it just wasn't it didn't really hit the spot for me yeah. um, then finally we have the sure thing which is probably the best in the bunch I just uh, reeled off this is a uh, Rob Reiner Come on, this is yeah. part of Rob Reiner's amazing run of hit after hit after hit. You know, Spinal Tap and uh, Stand By Me and Sure Thing and Harry Met Sally. You know, people don't realize that Rob Reiner, although he's, you know, although we forget about him now, he had like eight consecutive great movies. And this is one of them, one of the early ones. This is with uh, John Cusack and um, Daphne Zuniga, who at the time I thought was delicious. Now she's probably not that delicious. Anyway, the 20th anniversary of um, Sure Thing has a commentary with Rob Reiner and a bunch of featurettes, like on the casting and on the um, 
on the wardrobe. So this is a good film. I think this film is just sweet and terrific, and it's definitely right there in that sweet spot of Reiner's career when he's doing like Princess Bride and other great films. So uh, yeah, check it out. Sure thing. By the way, you you realize John Cusack just had the biggest opening weekend of any movie in his entire career. Did you know that? Yeah, but how many how many how many sorts of those films has he been in? No, I mean fifty five million dollar opening weekend. Huh? A fifty-five million dollar opening weekend, John Cusack. Did you not know this? Is this a joke? No, it's true. John Cusack is starring in a movie that yes. just opened with fifty-five million dollars opening weekend. Okay, what's what's the punchline? Uh, it's not a punchline. Dragon Blade. What's Dragon Blade? Dragon Blade is one of the top films that just opened in China on Chinese New Year, which is the big movie opening weekend every year. It is about Roman soldiers fighting uh, medieval Chinese warriors. Jackie Chan plays the, the, the Chinese general, and John Cusack and Adrian Brody play Roman soldiers. You know what I love about that story? <laughs> Here's what I love. We are bending over backwards to open our films in China, but, but now it turns out that China's not even paying up. No, they're making their own movies. I've been saying this for years. They're just going to use the infrastructure to make their own movies, and then they're just going to kick us out and go, thanks for building stuff. That's what they're going to do. But, uh, but I, I, I have a feeling that whatever – but my sense is that whatever money needs to be returned to the American studios from the Chinese – from China yeah. is not being forked over. Of course not. Never is. Uh, okay, let, let's blow through some uh, Warner stuff here. We've got the uh, Frank Darabont collection, which was part of our Oscar-winning uh, swag package for the Oscar pool. Frank Darabont collection is uh, beautiful Blu-ray editions of The Green Mile, The Majestic, and The Shawshank Redemption, uh, all in one big, splashy package, all to remind you that Frank Darabont has not made uh, anything since. That's kind of it. Well, he, uh, he, he was a showrunner of Walking Dead for season one. And that he needs was it. To, he need, how do we get that guy back in a Shawshank mode? Well, he, 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 no, you know what it is? He needs to do something else besides a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, he does. Well, anyway. Anyway, uh, it's, it's a good collection. If you, it's got all the, all the extras and all the bells and whistles. Uh, from the Warner Archive people, uh, we've got a four-movie collection of musicals. These are all four uh, really terrific uh, Blu-ray musicals that have been released either as part of the uh, either on their own or as part of the Warner Archive collection and uh, they have included in this uh, Singing in the Rain Calamity Jane The Bandwagon and Kiss Me Kate and uh, you also get um, uh, 2D and 3D versions of Kiss Me Kate incidentally and a whole bunch of uh, collectible art cards it's great so if you if you have these other films already in some other form not including the special anniversary edition of Singing in the Rain, I think this is a good upgrade and it would be a good double dip and, and get rid of those other ones and get this because it's nice and it saves you space on the shelf. Great Blu-ray set. And then also from the Warner Archive collection, we have a new Blu-ray, which is great. Far from the maddening crowd, the original. It's great. Yeah, they're remaking that. I know. Well, it's Thomas Vinterberg's new version. Yeah, which, which it's going to be awesome. Good. Doesn't it look great? It's going to be awesome. Oh, have you watched that trailer? Yes, that's why it's going to be great. Uh, the trailer's amazing. Yeah. Do you, you realize I watch that every single day? I do. I wake up. I put that trailer on. It makes me feel good about life. <laughs> makes me forget about ISIS. Um, like no, a, the, it, Italian ISIS? Ooh. Oh, if oh. ISIS opened in Italy, they'd, they'd be Italian ISIS. Like, you know, like the... I don't... You, you, know, you realize they're threatening to invade Italy. It's not going to happen, but, you know, if, if, I, if I lived in... If, if, imagine if ISIS were, like, in Baja, Mexico, and they were threatening to cross the border into California. It's kind of creepy, right? It's not going to happen. That's how close, but that's how close they are to Italy. Anyway, uh, no, John Schlesinger directed this, and we love John Schlesinger. John Schlesinger, was of course, just, just, Midnight Cowboy. 
so much, so, you know, just so stylish. This is a, a terrific three-hour uh, adaptation, obviously, of the Thomas Hardy novel, which is just, you know, a lot of people hate Thomas Hardy. Our good friend Andy can't stand Thomas Hardy because things happen uh, by happenstance in Thomas Hardy novels. But it's, a, it's just great. Terrence Stamp, just young and, and just brilliant. Alan Bates, Peter Finch, Julie Christie. That is just a killer British cast. And uh, really, it is just it is just wonderful. It is just absolutely wonderful. And uh, you know, obviously, the Vinterberg film, if it even comes close to this, and it may surpass it, they will both be great. They will be two great versions of a great novel, and I will be fine with both of them. So uh, I am eager to see what uh, what Carrie does stepping into Julie's shoes. Well, Vinterberg, who directed the Celebration, which is where I first discovered him, like devastating. He's great. He's great. He's great. Here are some other Warner Archive releases. Uh, Shirley Temple in Kathleen. This is when she was no longer young enough to be cute, but she wasn't old enough for anybody to take her seriously. She was like 12 or 13 years old at this time. Uh, It's okay. It's it's an okay film. It's It's a very, very nice transfer. They do a really, really good job of it. Um, you know, it's just about a about a, a young girl and uh, trying to you know sort of improve her relationship with her father, who's a widower, and uh, she has a stepmother, and it it uh, you know it, it it's it's one of those kind of through the eyes of a young girl trying to bring her family together and achieve wholeness again. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good little it's a good little film in general it just doesn't sort of wow you like a lot like you would expect a Shirley Temple film to do um, much better is a new long overdue widescreen edition of Star 80 thank goodness you realize the only edition of Star 80 that we have ever had has been uh, Pan and Scan we've had a crop Pan and Scan version of Star 80 from day one on DVD they never widescreened it now we finally get Star 80 right here widescreen thanks to the Warner Archive collection God bless you Long overdue. Who would even release a pan and scan DVD? I don't know. This I mean, was this is the early days of DVD. It was like it was the first one. It hasn't been done since. Bob Fosse wrote and directed this. It was uh, his last film. Amazing cinematographer by Sven Nyqvist. Um, I actually worked at the theater as an usher when this thing opened. And I remember when they were doing the tests of it. I didn't know who Eric Roberts was. Didn't know him from Shinola at the time. His performance in here is chilling. This is Eric Roberts like killing it, right? And uh, it's, of course, if you don't know, it's the story of Dorothy Stratton and her psychotic husband and, and how she was killed. And uh, Marielle Hemingway plays Dorothy Stratton, who, of course, is the Playboy Playmate, who was in Galaxina, among other things. Um, and uh, Bob Fosse, this is really him doing what he does at the very best. I remember very well when Bob Fosse came in to do a sound check. He showed up wearing lederhosen. <laughs> so help me, I'm not kidding. When you're, when you're Bob Fosse and you have that career behind you, Kill yourself. Wear later hose and do whatever you want. Uh, we also have Adventure in Baltimore with Robert Young, Shirley Temple, and John Agar. This is another uh, you know Shirley Temple uh, in her awkward stage movie. Uh, this is a little bit better. Uh, this is charming and uh, has a certain uh, you know a certain big studio flair to it. Uh, she was she's older. This is Dor- you know she's getting to be kind of a, a better adult uh, actress at this point. And uh, Robert Young is lovely in this. Um, last two films from the Warner Archive collection uh, The Wild Affair um, which has a lovely kind of uh, semi-performance from uh, Terry Thomas who we always enjoy but really the, uh, the star of this is, uh, is Nancy Kwan who um, doesn't boy I, I kind of struggle with this you know it's, uh, it's an interesting film that kind of exists 
in a different time and place, and the racial politics of this are uh, a little difficult now, but still, you know, it's it's a it, it's worth it's worth watching, it, especially when you consider how difficult it still is for Asian uh, performers in Hollywood. Really, really difficult. So, uh, Nancy Kwan, you know, the, the tagline here: "Can a secretary say no when her boss says yes?" Kind of tells tells you everything you need to know. And then lastly, Michael Collins uh, gets re-released again. The Neil Jordan uh, biopic starring uh, Liam Neeson as the Irish uh, independence fighter. Uh, I think this is a great film. It totally got dissed at the time. Uh, fantastic Chris Menge's cinematographer, cinematography. Chris Menge's just one of the geniuses of all time as far as cinematography goes. Uh, Anthony Pratt, great production design. Really a great, great biopic. I the only uh, the only thing that doesn't work for it uh, for me in it is Julia Roberts. I think she was really miscast, but otherwise, really first-rate film. So glad that that is out again. And all right, Mark. Peppa Pig. It's time for Peppa Pig. Uh, no, no more Peppa Pig. But we are going to. Uh, I will let you cover the Twilight Time releases this week, which are all available at ScreenArchive.com. ScreenArchives.com. Uh, is where you get the Twilight Time titles. A great list of these. And Mark, when you're done with those, then I will plow through the Olive releases, and that may take us to the end. Uh, wait, we have uh, Dustin Hoffman's uh, In Lenny, a, a film that is finally out on Blu-ray. I have this on uh, DVD. I have this on DVD. Speaking of uh, Bob Fosse. Yeah, speaking of Bob Fosse, this yeah. was directed by Bob Fosse. This is uh, Dustin Hoffman uh, in an early role where he plays uh, the great Lenny, Bruce. Now, Lenny Bruce was. Uh, we talked about Richard Pryor last week. You know, Richard Pryor was inspired by Lenny Bruce. Um, Lenny Bruce, of course, a controversial comedian, who would, you know, the guy would go on stage all drugged up and and just say all this crazy counterculture stuff. The guy got arrested on stage once. I mean, he is crazy, Lenny Bruce. And Dustin Hoffman plays him to the hilt. It's a it, the, Lenny Bruce was just a tortured character, privately and publicly. The guy was just tortured. This is just a grim. And yet funny and realistic portrayal of uh, Lenny's life. And Dustin Hoffman is great in it. So uh, there you go. Definitely check out uh, Lenny starring Dustin Hoffman. Also one of my favorite uh, Woody Allen films of all time, Love and Death. This is back when he was doing the quote-unquote funny ones. This is from 1975. I remember I had had the script to this, Love and Death. And the reason why I cherished the script to Love and Death, having had it, and this is before you can get it on, there, there was no internet when I had the script for Love and Death. I, I'm not sure how I got it, but I loved the script because there was a bunch of scenes in the script that did not make the movie. So I got to sort of see Love and Death plus extra jokes. But I love Love and Death. This is one of the funniest uh, Woody Allen films. It, it is, is absolutely hilarious. It is so unbelievably funny. And some of it is silly funny in a way that Woody doesn't do anymore. I mean, the little bonking on the head thing right. that they do is... Uh, I have a little plot of land. Oh I'm going gosh. to build on it. Oh my gosh. That is so genius. <laughs> that is so genius. That whole bit is so weird and so out there. And it is so unbelievably funny. No, no. And the, I remember... The, it's and, beyond funny. And now that it's on Blu-ray... By the way, I bought that Blu-ray, I have to say. I love it so much. There's there, there's that famous scene like the night before he's going to be executed. He he gives this little uh, soliloquy to the camera. So and what 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 uh, what I want to play on the Blu-ray is that when he's done with the soliloquy and they fade to black, and obviously Woody's on some sort of a run that he's just he's just channeling who knows what the hell. As they fade to black, you can hear the crew laughing. Really? Right at the very end. In fact, I bought the Blu-ray. I'll play it for you. Oh. At the very end, as they fade to black on that soliloquy scene, right the night before he's going to die, you can hear the crew laughing. Oh, that's fantastic. Because it's just, it's just too damn funny. Oh, that's fantastic. Anyway, um, To Sir With Love is just a wonderful film. Uh, this is uh, from 1967. 
this is one of the classic, you know, earnest teacher teaching the, of course, all white kids about love and life. And it was adapted from a book. And uh, the thing that this thing was directed by James Clavell, which is really weird because James Clavell mm-hmm. is a novelist. Yeah. He wrote Shogun. Yeah. You know, and, and, he, ty- and Taipan. And, and Taipan. And, yeah. And he's a terrific writer, and it turns out he knocked out of the park with this movie, which yeah. is just terrific. One of Sidney Poitier's most iconic roles, and it's it's a great Blu-ray. It's got uh, an audio commentary with Judy uh, Geeson, who was in the film, a bunch of film historians, and there's another audio commentary by the author of the source work, and uh, it's great. It's just a really terrific film, and Poitier is just charismatic and energetic, and it's just it resonates all the way through the years, right up to today. And you got to check out To Serve with Love again. It's the original inspirational teacher movie, and uh, it's great. Sidney Poitier is just great. Stormy Weather from uh, 19, when was 1943. This is just an amazing film. This film is a bit of uh, it's a bit of a classic because it has like this all all African American cast. Now we're talking like you know we're talking uh, 1943 here. So it's got an all-African-American cast. It's got Lena Horne doing some musical numbers. Cab Calloway, Fats Waller is just great. I mean, this film is just classic. Um, Fats Waller does his, does um, Ain't Misbehavin', which is just the classic song. And uh, I love this film. This film is just – it's beautiful. It's black and white, but it's so beautifully shot, and the music is great. And it's just like it's – just, just, it's just this like iconic kind of look at – the music of that era and how a lot of the great music of that era was all done by African Americans. You wouldn't even know that. True. You know, they, they got no, they got no credit for being like the ones who were doing the best music. Like sure, Glenn Miller was around. Invent- was, they, they invented an entire genre of American music. They really did, yeah. and this is all about that. And so it's just great. Stormy weather is just absolutely wonderful. So. Got to check that out. Also, finally, from uh, 1967, we have the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. This one stars Jason Robards, George Siegel. And, uh, and there's nothing funnier to me than a young-looking George Siegel. I don't know why. Anyway, this is directed by Roger Corman, produced by Roger Corman as well. This is all about the uh, world-famous um, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It's really good. It's very violent. It's slam bang. It's gutsy. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's really it's one of actually it's one of um, Corman's best directed films because he took this pretty seriously, and uh, it's good. It's good stuff. Special oh, yeah. features. It's okay. Uh, there's an isolated score track and a featurette with Roger Corman remembering the film. Otherwise, uh, it's really it's really that you're really there for the movie. And I, you know, again, you get these at uh, by going to screenarchives.com. There are three thousand copies available of the Twilight Time titles. They do come all with the isolated scores and. Uh, let me just say, I always thought that the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was orchestrated by George Raft. Wasn't it? You're not getting the joke. Now, when you say George Raft... I mean because the opening scene of uh, Some Like It Hot is the, is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That is true. I Thank thought you. it was... Uh... I thought it was arranged by Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. <laughs> they witnessed it. What? And then they had to and run to Florida. And then they had to run to Florida and train and dress like... Fox. <laughs> yeah. Okay, folks, Olive Films, who also uh, licenses out these studio titles, has been on a tear, an absolute tear recently. And here uh, is what you get. They, they've been getting a lot. First off, we get a bunch of great um, uh, exploitation films from the, uh, from the 60s. Really great stuff. Psych Out with Susan Strasberg, Dean Stockwell, and Jack Nicholson. The Ultimate Head Trip. Uh, th- this is just really an awful lot of fun. Directed by Richard Rush before he did, you know, legit stuff like the uh, uh, like the uh, stuntman. Uh, we get Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra in the Wild Angels, which was the precursor to uh, Easy Rider. Uh, this sort of set the uh, 
set the stage, written by Charles Griffith, who was, of course, and, and produced and directed by Roger Corman. And uh, Charles Griffith was, you know, the guy, he was, he was the bolt to Roger Corman's David Lean, if we want to put it in those uh, terms. Griffith was, you know, wrote all the great Corman stuff, and The Wild Angels is no different. Um, if you like the beach movies, we've got Annette and Frankie in Muscle Beach Party and the original Beach Bank Blanket Bingo, both on Blu-ray. They are terrific transfers. They look really good. Uh, not set in the 60s, but not made in the 60s, is the more recent 1969 with Robert Downey Jr., Kiefer Sutherland, and Bruce Dern. Uh, Bruce Dern, who, of course, came of age in that era and in those movies, is the, the linkage here. Um, written and directed by Ernest Thompson, who's kind of fallen out of favor uh, of late. This was sort of his last gasp. But um, uh, it's an okay film. It, it's a little too earnest for its own good. The wonderful Kiss Me Stupid, a Billy Wilder film with Dean Martin, Ray Walston, and Kim Novak. By the way, a friend of mine pointed out, now that uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy is gone, we've lost Robin Williams, Leonard Nimoy, and Ray Walston, television's three most famous aliens. Aww. They're all gone. The aliens have left the building. By the way, if you go to Time Magazine, they yeah. uh, last week, but Time Magazine posted an interesting essay about uh, Leonard Nimoy written by Martin Landau. Wow. It's pretty good, right? That's great. Martin Landau writing about Leonard. Of course, his, now uh, Leonard Nimoy and Martin Landau both of appeared course. in Mission yes. Impossible. Yes, and they were in great sci-fi series together. <laughs> oh, not, or not together, but separately. Space but which were, 1999. But which had the same producer. <gasps> you realize that. Who's that? The, the, the last season of Star Trek and both seasons of Space 1999 were produced by, uh, what's his name? The guy Gene Kuhn. Uh, uh, not Gene Kuhn. Not Gene Kuhn. The guy everybody blames for ruining Star Trek. Oh, Fried, uh, Friedberger. Friedlander. Fred, Fried, Fred, Fred, Fred Friedberger. Fred, yeah. Fred Friedberger. That's it. Anyway, uh, it's small world. Small industry, smaller world. Smaller, small world, smaller industry. It's no, a, small industry, smaller world. It's a yes, small world after all? It is. So anyway, Kiss Me Stupid, Billy Wilder film, uh, which is a lot of fun. I mean, again, not one of Billy Wilder's best, but he wrote it with Izzy Diamond, as he did many of his best stuff. And uh, you get some great Gershwin songs in here. And, you know, it's free. Come on. It's got Dean Martin. Give me, give me a break. Uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover has been done a million times. This is the one with Sylvia Christel, who, of course, was uh, of Emmanuel fame. Uh, kind, of a, kind of a cheesy version of the story, uh, but it's got some cult, cult value. And it was made by uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus in 1981 as a way of kind of trying to make Canon Films, I don't know, a soft core house? I don't get it. But anyway, it is an oddity from the Canon uh, days. One of my favorite films of all time. I'm so, so happy that this is finally out with its amazing Lalo Schifrin score and its brilliant Rudy DeLuca and Carl Gottlieb screenplay. An amazing cast that includes Dennis Quaid, Barbara Bach, Shelley Long... Avery Schreiber and Jack Guilford, but most importantly, it stars the best, the most talented, the genius of the Beatles, Ringo Starr. We are talking about the one, the only, the immortal caveman now on Blu-ray. You know, uh, Barbara Bach, <laughs> she was so hot back then. And, and she's still with Ringo. That's it, lasted. I know. Like, who would have thunk? This also stars John Matuzak, the football player. Yeah. You, you've seen this film. You've seen Caveman, haven't you? Yeah, you know, it's 30 years ago. It's it's so bad, it's awesome. It's so terrible. Is, is, is there such a thing as so bad, it's, it's awesome? It's so terrible. It's it's a work of genius. I don't think they realized how, how brilliant they were in making it. Uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby in The Road to Hong Kong, joined, of course, by Joan Collins. And the story here, I don't know if you know this, in The Road to Hong Kong, 
Mm-hmm. They have to um, allow Joan Collins to die or else Kennedy uh, doesn't get assassinated and the the Russians... Is that your Leonard Nimoy City on the Edge I of guess. Forever reference? Yeah, something Good job. like that. Exactly. Uh, Jack Lemmon and the wonderful Verna Lisi, who passed away recently, star together in How to Murder Your Wife, uh, a film I did not expect uh, all of films to mine out of the uh, the MGM library, but they did. And uh, what a what a, an unusual and yet welcome uh, film to, to yank out. A very nice Blu-ray transfer. Uh, it has not really been restored. So uh, given whatever flaws are in the elements, the, and the elements leave much to be desired. This was made in 1965. Um, the Blu-ray is, is better than expected. I will say that. It's certainly better looking than expected. It's a nice looking film to begin with. Um, also from that uh, particular... Um, uh, Million, well, hang on. Let me let me let me jump into this first. Uh, Vincent and Teo. This is Robert Altman's um, rather extraordinary uh, Vincent Van Gogh biography. It's a biography of Vincent Van Gogh and his brother Teo, of course. Tim Roth playing Van Gogh, Paul Rees playing his brother Teo. Uh, one of the most interesting of the Van Gogh films, maybe the most interesting outside of Lust for Life, the Vincent Minnelli film with Kirk Douglas. Uh, this is, I mean, one of Tim Roth's best performances and a really interesting Altman film, an uncharacteristic Altman film. He, did, he wasn't a biopic guy. But no, he did a biopic of Popeye. That's true. But it's really good. Also on Blu-ray from Olive, uh, James Woods and Brian Dennehy in Best Seller, uh, which I'd completely forgotten even existed. This is an okay film. Uh, I thought it was crap at the time, but, you know, it, it was written by Larry Cohen, who did a lot of exploitation films, you know, Black Caesar and whatnot, wrote Phone Booth, right? Originally supposed to be a film for Hitchcock. He wrote Best Seller, and he's a little, you know, Larry Cohen, just prolific and a wonderful guy, and it's, it's decent. Uh, Chattahoochee with Dennis Hopper and Gary Oldman is also with uh, Francis McDormand and M. Emmett Walsh. Really good cast. Uh, you know, a, uh, a better, better than average film from that era, directed by Mick Jackson of uh, L.A. Story fame, who hasn't done much lately, has he? No. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's see what he's done. You, you, you prattle on. I'll see what I Mick will. Jackson's been doing uh, lately. More great Blu-rays from Olive as we get down here to the bottom. Robert Duvall and Lucas Haas, James Earl Jones in Horton Foote's Convicts. Uh, this is okay. Uh, it, with that cast, it should have been a better film. Peter Masterson directs it. He did a better job in The Trip to Bountiful. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a Horton Foot film, so, you know, you, you get that whole kind of dusty, um, waxing poetic in the prairie kind of sensibility to it. TV. He's done nothing but TV. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, um, wait, so Mick Jackson directed Volcano? Yeah, isn't that amazing? I didn't even know that. He just—I like that movie. That's a guilty pleasure movie for me. Volcano from 1997 with um, Anne Hayes and Lee Jones and Don Cheadle. Well, there you go. A lot of talk lately about uh, this uh, Shades of Grey movie. Forget it. Wild Orchid with Mickey Rourke and uh, Carrie Otis. There you go. That's mm. one. No, of it's the... nine and a half. You're thinking nine and a half weeks. No, Zalman King, man. Zalman King is where it's at. He's the guy that pioneered all that all that softy softy core junk. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is really not a good film, but it's, it's got that Zalman King softcore thing going for it, so somebody will like it. I remember once seeing an interview with Zalman King where he was talking about the eroticism in his movies, and the person said, do you realize that some people consider what you do to be pornography? And the look on his face was, it was like someone had just told him his mother had died. It was like this, this look of being unbelievably wounded, like it never occurred to him. It, it was so strange. It's like, wow, he really does live in his own world, doesn't he? 
Zalman King. Uh, the night they raided Minsky's uh, has has sort of gained in popularity over the years. It's become a bit of a bit of a cult thing, uh, in large part because it was uh, co-written by Norman Lear and produced by Norman Lear and directed by William Friedkin. And you think Norman Lear and William Friedkin? How did that work? Uh, I would never put those two together in any universe. But yeah, but come on, Elliot Gould, Forrest Tucker, Britt Eklund, Britt, oh, so Jason hot. Robards. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's a Denholm Elliott. It's a, Richard it's, Libertini's in this. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he sure is. He's also in uh, in uh, Don't Drink the Water, uh, the Woody Allen thing. Is that right? You can, yeah, he's very funny in that, too. Hilarious, actually. And, of course, in The In-Laws, you know. He's amazing in The In-Laws. Uh, but the night they raided Minsky's, you know, uh, kind of it's, it's, it was a bit of an unwieldy thing at the time. It's become a, b- a bit of a big deal uh, since then. And then we also have uh, Eric Roberts and Dennis Hopper and Burt Young in Blood Red, which is another Peter Masterson film that I could well do without. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, a kind of a quasi-Western set in the California wine country. Uh, you know, bloody, bloody revenge thing. And then Dangerously Close. Um, which I'm also not that fan- fond of, uh, with John Stockwell, Carrie Lowell. This was made in 1986, kind of one of those, uh, another, another bit of a cheesy canon film uh, directed by Albert Pune, the Hawaiian director of the... Captain America. Uh, the, uh, the original Cap... Not the TV Captain America with Red Brown, but the... The, the, the feature, movie one, The movie yeah. character. Uh, the, mo- the first movie, Captain right. America, which was also really bad. Um, and then lastly, here are the three that I really want to make mention of the, that are super important before we close out the show. Uh, John Ford, Dreaming the Quiet Man. Part of, again, part of our Oscar swag pack uh, for the, uh, the pool was The Quiet Man. And this is a new documentary from Olive on the making of The Quiet Man, narrated by Gabriel Byrne, who, of course, is Irish, appropriately so. And uh, this is lovely. A lot of great interviews here. Uh, Maureen O'Hara, among them, who recently got a, a special Oscar. And... Um, uh, the original trailer and it's just this is just really lovely and uh, it's a much maligned film I know a lot of people that like to try to rip on The Quiet Man but I take exception to them and then uh, Ang Lee's Eat Drink Man Woman which uh, was a foreign language nominee in 1994 and uh, which I saw at the Cannes Film Festival in 1994 is just a brilliant film I can't watch this without being just voraciously hungry the story of a uh, father uh, who is a chef and his daughters and it's kind of like it's a, it, it feels a little bit like uh, a Chinese version of um, Fiddler on the Roof with food, but it's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie with wonderful performances. And then lastly, another Cannes Film Festival story: The End of Violence, the Vim Vendors film with Bill Pullman, Andy McDowell, and Gabriel Byrne. The subject of which is a surveillance system, an ex- sort of it's, it, that presents the existential challenge of what if we could surveil everyone at all times and put an end to violence what would what compromises do we have to make as far as our freedoms and all the rest of that goes um, you know this is an unusual movie that I am um, I'm not qualified I shouldn't say qualified I'm not really in a position to be objective about this film because my wife worked on it and uh, it was in 1997 that we were at the Cannes Film Festival and got to go up the stairs the black tie screening the whole shindig Got to go right in and see the uh, celebrity screening, the evening screening, the black tie screening of this at the Cannes Film Festival, the competition screening, after which they presented the Palm of Palms at the 50th anniversary uh, uh, Cannes Film Festival to Ingmar Bergman, who, of course, was not there. But then everyone went on stage, all previous uh, Palm d'Or winning directors, only one of whom was a woman, Jane Campion. That was very uh, obvious. And uh, that was a great evening. 
So I'm forever grateful for this movie for giving me one of the great evenings of my life, but I am not uh, in a position to actually give you an objective assessment of the movie. You know why those canned screenings are not very good? Why? No food. <laughs> <laughs>